Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest, and today I am happy to introduce you to Monica Devine. So Monica, say hello to everyone. Hi everyone, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much, Vicki. You're so welcome. So tell us, where are you at? Where are you located, Monica? I am located in Eagle River, Alaska, and I have been here at this same location for about 40 years. Oh, wow. Nice. So what, you were you, you were originally there? Uh, no, I came up in 1978 after um, graduate school in speech and language pathology. Um, I applied to three places, uh, Wyoming, Montana, and Alaska. Um, and Alaska just happened to be the place that called me first. But um, I don't know if this was conscious at the time, but all three of those places have really wide sweeping landscapes. Yeah, and you know, 20 below temperatures and the yeah. wind chill factors. And for some reason, um, you know, I come from winter people, I'm from Michigan, so uh, in my bones, I can, you know, handle that and actually even enjoy it, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, you must like it cold in the wilderness because you pick three of the, <laughs> that kind of an area, sort of, so. Or the, the final frontiers, it kind of feels like when you told me those three states. <laughs> Right, and that's what it was because my initial location was Fairbanks, and Fairbanks is even colder than it is in Eagle River, and it's, you know, in the interior, so, um, you know, it doesn't get the light that we get down here, so you actually moving from Fairbanks down to Eagle River was a really good choice because it opened up our um, recreational op opportunities in a huge way. Um, where you know you can be out in the mountains here in a few minutes, and you can be in the wilderness pretty quick, and also out on Prince William Sound on the water where we go shrimping. So things changed when we moved uh, down south. We're more centrally located, and I like that a lot better. Oh yeah, that sounds a lot better. I bet you still get a long winter, right? Oh, well, we do. Yes. Perfect <laughs> <laughs> for riding. <laughs> Actually, they are really good for writing. Okay, so tell the readers a little bit more about your background in which you went there for work. Um, are you currently still working or are you retired and, and writing full-time? Um, I am retired. I've been retired for actually quite a while. And I'm also an artist and I work with um, ceramic uh, clay and figurative ceramics. And 
most of my work is a combination of women and animals. And I usually get inspiration to build a sculpture from either a poem that I've written or from something else that I've read that sort of inspires me to make something around it. So um, I'm just, you know, really into doing that. I think it helps a lot to do something with my hands. I enjoy working with my hands and not always in my head because I can get kind of lost in my head, but it's a good outlet for that for sure. So, um, and then I do a little bit of painting too, but, and pretty much uh, around here, you know, there's lots of hiking trails in Anchorage. The city has such great coastal trails and um, there's uh, skiing, downhill skiing and cross-country skiing. So there's a lot to do here in the outdoors, if you like the outdoors. Yeah, I think you would have to want to like the outdoors. <laughs> like the Northwest, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, you have to be able to get out and enjoy it and go hiking and go kayaking and go skiing. Those are, you know, all the big things, fishing, you know. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a fish wheel on the Copper River. It's about three hours away from here. We have a cabin and every year we go in June and catch fish to uh you know, have for the winter and store it up and smoke it and so forth. That's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a lot in common with all you people in Washington and Oregon. <laughs> I kind of feel like you're still part, I mean, kind of the Pacific Northwest, but not really. But you're, you know, you're you're definitely in the same region, except it's colder up there, I think, way colder than we yes. are. Yes. So. Yep. Well, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about what you're right, what you write. So I know you do different kinds of writing, different genres, but kind of break it out for um, those that don't know you, which is probably the majority of my listeners. <laughs> so introduce kind of what you write, your genres and that, that kind of Okay, well, I write across genres. And so um, I've written um, five books for children. And in 1997, a couple of them came out from uh, Perfection Learning Corporation in um, Iowa. And one of them's called the Iditarod, and it's about a girl who runs the Iditarod race, which is the thousand mile sled dog race across Alaska, you probably know about. Mm -hmm. And the other one is called Mountain Climbing, and it's about um, a boy and his dad who scale Mount Denali. And the interesting thing about these two is that they are in teachers' catalogs, and um, you know, they've been used in schools, and they are the ones that have done a lot better as far as income than my other uh, picture books, the regular picture books. So I have a few other ones. Um, one of them is called Hannah Bear's Christmas um, and Carry Me Mama, two are also uh, from the same publisher. It's a Canadian publisher and they're called uh, Fitzhenry and Whiteside. And then the most recent one is called Kayak Girl. It's published by um, University of Alaska Press. Their imprint is Snowy Owl Books. And um, so a couple of these were also pretty much inspired by my traveling in bush villages. I went to over 60 villages, Indian and Eskimo villages for my work to work in special education and to do evaluations and so forth. And so, you know, it's just observing um, people and their way of life and especially the kids, because that was always fun. Um, and, you know, coming home and putting those stories down on paper and I've got so many ideas, things that I haven't published yet. And I know that you've talked about in one of your uh, 
questions was uh, if people self-publish, and I haven't done that yet, but I really want to do that because I, I want to be able to do things my way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you yeah. think usually turn out really great, but a couple of times they didn't. My very first book in 1991, which was called Baby Talk, it's a book for parents, nonfiction, and it's it's came out of my profession. So it's all about the speech and language development of children from birth to three. And then, you know, activities for parents and their milestones and stuff. But they had um, a font that looked Arabic. And I thought, what? This does not even, this is not good. I didn't like it at all. And when I expressed that, they basically said, well, we have a graphic arts department and we don't want your input. Yeah. So, so I was like stuck with that and I never liked it. But um, a good thing that happened was my most recent book for adults, which is called Water Mask, uh, that I hope to read from today. Um, University of Alaska Press published that in 2019. And I saw some paintings by a Canadian artist named um, Dominique Fortine. And I loved her work so much. She had like, again, is combining the women with animals. You know, she had women or girls, young girls on, on caribou, you know, beautifully, beautifully done mixed media. And then she had one with a girl looking into a mirror and there's birds on the mirror. And so it looked self-reflective, which is what my book is kind of contemplative. And so I contacted her immediately and she said, oh, I would love to do that. And University of Alaska Press contacted her. And, and so I was really grateful to UA Press for that. That is so fantastic. Well, I'll wrap back a little bit um, about some of the things that you talked about. The first thing I want to ask about was um, getting your book in that teachers, um, the magazine for teachers. Was that a deal with the publishing company you were working with? Is that how you got that in? Because that's an interesting venue for children's book authors um, or young adults if they're writing the right kind of books. Um, and I think that that's not something that I've had anybody talk about yet. Well, basically, um, I queried um, this publisher. They're called Perfection Learning, and that's all they do. All they do is publish books for teachers. Mm -hmm. And so that was one. I queried so many publishers, children's book publishers, and they were the ones that came back and said, you know, this would be really great for our collection. They have a collection for our reluctant readers where they basically asked me if they could shorten my sentences and um, make it more appealing for readers who were having trouble. And I said, absolutely. And I'm so glad I did because I get letters from schools and students and stuff around the country. Um, but that's, that's all that perfection learning does in, in just about every subject matter you can imagine. Um, the other book, so a matter of querying, you know, the regular picture book market. Yeah, yeah. So you can have an agent, you did it all yourself. No, I didn't have an agent and I'm kind of thinking for my next project, um, I might want to pursue that. I mm -hmm. haven't done that yet and I'm not sure, but until the book is completely finished, I won't even go there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, you know, I kind of hear the pros and the cons of both because people in my writing world. So I have uh, belonged to a writing group. There's five of us and they're so great because 
they make you accountable. Every month you come in with something. It might not be any good, but at least you got something, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so several of them are self-published and they also are traditionally published. So we get a mix of opinions and experiences over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you mentioned about your, you know, taking the idea of doing self-publishing. Um, for particularly that one book does sound very interesting for you to rework it for how you want it for adults, you know, nonfiction for adults, huge selling market. Um, and so do you have the rights? I'm curious if you have the rights back for it so you can do that. I do. I have the rights back and I don't know if I ever will because there's so many more interesting, exciting things to do right now that I can't. I can't. So I just, I have those, but I can't see doing that at least in the near future. Cause there's so many other things on my plate right now. I totally get it. And you know, what's so beautiful about the publishing industry these days is that you don't have to just stay in one lane. You can do a hybrid version. You know, you could be traditional for some things. You can be self-published for other things. You know, that was the whole start of this podcast with me asking authors how they got published because I was undecided what I wanted to do. And then I finally published my first book, self-published. And I'm like, it's great. I enjoy it. But I also would love to try having, um, you know, I don't know if I have one agent because I've done so much marketing myself for the podcast and now for my book that I think I'm okay. Um, but I think for, you know, other genres, it'd be interesting to explore publishing with other you know, publishing houses and stuff. So, but it sounds like you have a good background as far as what you've already done some things. I mean, I would love to see you try self-publishing. It's it's really, you've already done a few things like marketing and negotiation and you have probably a really good new graphic design view because that is important. You already have connection with great artists for illustration. So <laughs> you can shoot for self-publishing plus you get to keep all your royalties. <laughs> oh yeah exactly and I think the hybrid too is really great I've known a couple of uh, people who have gone with she writes press oh they're great wow they're great and they're both women they're both up here in Alaska and their books are doing really well and they're beautiful books yeah so yeah, yeah I definitely want to look into that um, but I do want more control over what's going on yeah yeah that's kind of where I feel like a majority of authors are going towards these days a lot of them not everybody. She writes press is fantastic. I've had a huge handful of Pacific Northwest uh, authors on She Writes Press come on the podcast. So I totally endorse them. They're fantastic. Great group to work with. So tell me a little bit about your writing process and inspiration. So um, do, you, do you get ideas and then you sit down and you write one project at a time? Do you have to outline? How does that work for you? Well, um, I'm working on fiction right now. So this is my first novel. Uh, it's called The Memory of Geese. And um, right now I'm, I'm feeling really a lot freer because with fiction, I don't feel like I have to outline everything and I don't have to, I don't know exactly how it's gonna end and I don't know how parts are gonna fit together yet. But the way that I'm writing fiction, I'm having so much more fun because I don't have to do a, you know, thousand uh, a bibliography and all these fact checks. I'm just making stuff up as I go. And that's really interesting and fun. Um, but I'm, I'm writing scenes, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just writing scenes. I don't know exactly know how they're going to go together, but I'll think about a scene and then I'll get down to writing it. And then later on, see 
how this relates to what came previously or what's going to come after. And I find it so stimulating and exciting <laughs> to do. Um, and then I'm also thinking about another book after that, if I, could, if I survive this, um, that is also uh, uh, would be called A Year of Breathing. And I've, for that one, I've just compiled notes. Every time I hear something interesting about impermanence, about aging, uh, about um, illness, um, my, my character is so far gonna be a woman who's reflecting back, she's in her 80s, and she has a defining moment in her life where she is in charge of a grandchild who actually dies while she's taking care of it. And so that's something that haunts her, her entire life. And so it makes me think about some of those, you know, black holes that we have to live with or we try to climb out of. And how do we do that? How do people have resilience and how do they, how do they get out of those types of, um, situations where their mind takes them to the dark place yeah so yeah there so I think those ideas just come and I'm always you know carrying around a notebook so sometimes in coffee shops you know I, I you probably do this too but I watch people and then I write down what they say and oh, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. listen to dialogue and think oh this is really interesting and then some of the other books that I I'm reading um there's that one, um, Olive Kittredge, Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Strout. And that's a really great novel. I'm reading novels um, so that I can learn. I'm looking at it not from a reader's point of view, but now from a writer's point of view, like how well she uses dialogue and just a couple lines of dialogue can tell me so much about a person's character. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of the way I'm thinking about novels now. And I'm also starting to do audible and I really like that to hear all these, how authors put things together, which I hadn't thought about before, but um, I think it's going to be very useful. And my husband always did audible because he always had trouble reading when he was in school and he actually quote unquote reads way more books than I do. <laughs> so I, I need to catch up with him and I think audible is the way to go. Well, I tell you, being in education, you probably know this, but I push um, audio books with my students. I work with adult students. And so, and I'm dyslexic. So for me, reading and writing is a very slow process. Um, but when I discover using audio anything for um, writing or audio for reading, my, my whole world opens up. And I do consume a lot of books a lot faster than if I was reading them, even though I enjoy the process of reading. So there's a cognitive skill that is, it gets um, very, uh, it's so much more helpful for individuals that have some fluorness or dyslexia or something like that. They can move a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, my husband he commutes a lot. He's not a reader. So I got him years ago on audio tapes or um, CDs from the library when I worked there. And he consumed so many books. It was hilarious. It was so great. So, well, I can see this. We're going to be um, driving outside uh, in August. And so we are both going to be plugged into our audio books. He'll have his, I'll have mine. And that's four straight days of driving. So we'll yeah. get a lot of reading it during get a lot done, get a lot done. I love yeah. it. So let's do this. Um, so I'll make sure that um, the show notes will have your website because I believe, I looked at your website, I believe you have 
almost all your titles listed there in your book that you have. And you also have beautiful photographs in your artwork that you do too. So listeners definitely check out the website. Um, but let's, why don't you uh, tell us a, a little bit about the titles that you, you're going to share with us today and give us the background for what you're going to read. Kind of give us the story of maybe how, it cre how you created this or how it came about or any background you want to share around the reading. And then you go right into the reading and I'm going to go on mute my dogs with the dog barking non-stop. So we'll see if they come on the, on the podcast with us. I'm going to go on mute while you do that, Monica, so we can avoid okay. dog barking. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Should I go ahead and, and read as well? Yes, please. Okay, sounds good. All right, so um, when I started traveling in the bush in Alaska for my work, I kept a journal, um, I wrote down thoughts and observations, and eventually these turned into stories that make up um, my latest book called Water Mask. And it's a collection of 15 nonfiction stories drawn from living and working in Alaska for about 25 years. Um, a few of the stories uh, take place in Alaskan villages. So first I would like to respectfully acknowledge the Yupik and Nupiat and Athabascan people who illuminated my path as I traveled in the villages for my job. And um, I mean, at every turn, people were so kind and they freely shared their stories and their homes and their lives with me. So I'm really grateful to them. Um, so, so I'm gonna just maybe first, this is not just all about um, Alaska. There's a, uh, other chapters and I'll just name a few of those before I actually go into a reading. Um, but there's a couple other chapters. One of them is called um, On the Edge of Ice and it, it is about actually going with a whaling uh, crew up uh, on the Beaufort Sea. Um, also one called uh, Things Fall Apart and that takes into consideration the cultural differences of uh, a person like myself going into uh, Inupiat and Athabascan villages and Yupik villages and working with kids that are have a different culture than my own. Um, Water Mask is the name of the book um, and it comes from a poem actually by Jim Harrison. He's one of my favorite writers. Um, he's from Michigan and so am I. So I love his books because especially in his book, True North, he, he uses all these place names of all these places I know and love in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I have a connection to that, his writing. But um, he used the, the words water mask in a poem um, about death. And it was a poem that I read when, my, when we spread my mother's ashes. So water mask in this, this book, the story is about my mother's death. Um, my mother's death. And it's sort of juxtaposed with uh, we're fishing the fish wheel on the Copper River and watching the uh, wheel turn and harvesting fish. Um, let's see. Oh, A Month Alone is a, is a story about, um, well, you know, whenever you go to writing conferences, people always talk about your process or they ask about your process. So this story is about a month that I spent alone in Abiquiu, New Mexico at Ghost Ranch where I had no car and no people around. So it was great because I was able to get most of this book finished in that period of time. And so it speaks to, um, 
you know, what it's like when you come up, come up against silence. And also I'm really interested in how the mind works and how it turns and sometimes can be a menace rather than uh, where you want to go with it. You know, you, it, you, you get all kinds of thoughts and they're unbidden thoughts. And I, so I, I do uh, document my struggle with staying on task and keeping my mind going in the direction that I wanted it to. Um, and then let's see. Uh, oh, the inside passage is about um, uh, coming up to Alaska in, in the inside passage on a friend's boat. Uh, Cold departures is a chapter that's about my dad's death and so on and so forth. So my reading, I thought I would read from the first, um, the lead story, and it's called Mission of Motherhood. And um, I think in Alaska, you know, I brought my boys up here and they, they do, you know, there was a little element of risk anyway, as far as bringing kids up in the outdoors, at least compared to if I had stayed in Michigan and lived in a suburb. Um, Mission of Motherhood is a story about a woman who loses her baby. And so I think I'd like to read a part of that. Okay, so it's called Mission of Motherhood. I do not know much about gods, but I think that the river is a strong brown god. T.S. Eliot, I used to carry my baby like that, just like the young woman did in the story Agnes told. I carried him in a pack on my back, an internal frame pack we used on camping trips to carry sleeping bags and gear. My husband fashioned it into a baby carrier by cutting holes in the nylon fabric where our little boy poked his chubby legs through. Riding high up off the ground, my baby would hold onto the tubing at the top of the pack and push down with his feet at my hips. He babbled and jumped up and down when I caught a batch of fish in our dip net. Carrying him was easy. I was young and lean, my arms and legs strong. He was never too heavy to shoulder, not like the 70 plus pounds of fish we hauled out of the canyon in army surplus packs. I first heard the story from Agnes at the Mendeltna Creek Lodge, a roadhouse where I often stopped for lunch on my way to our cabin in Taslina. Agnes, a stranger then, sat at the bar eating a bowl of soup. She was of a thin, wiry build with long graying hair roped into a braid that hung clear to her waist. Her voice was thick and gravelly, like she had smoked away her years. She spoke of the two kids who recently drowned in the icy waters of Long Lake when their mother lost control of her car on the steep, snow-blown mountain road. Deaths like that happen a lot out this way, she said. There were those two little kids who were caught in a sweeping fire that burned down their cabin one winter when it hit close to 30 below. Agnes leaned to one side on the bar stool, stretching out her back. She tore off a piece of bread and chewed it slowly. Recalling children who had died over the years, she said, 
The little ones are those you don't forget. They never had a chance, never got a proper hook on life. And she began another story about a young woman dip knitting on the Copper River with her baby on her back. It's necessary if you're going to place a net in the river to watch the water and get familiar with its ways. Be aware of the current, the likely path the fish are taking, how much debris is in the water. Take note of the water level and the condition of the bank. You have to watch how the wind disturbs the surface so you know where to cleanly place your net down deep, way below the riffles. The Athabascan Indian women knew these things by heart. They fished the Copper River and the Taslina, Tonsina, Galcana, and Plutina rivers. Na means water or river. For hundreds of years, they knew where the good fish runs were, how to skin and gut a salmon, how to prepare it for drying on racks in the sun, how to preserve the meat in their smokehouses. The women took their babies everywhere they went in all kinds of weather. While fishing, they securely strapped their babies in cradles made from the strong branches of birch trees. It happened a long time ago, a long time ago, Agnes said. I sensed a sadness bloom around her, a deep hurt that floated somewhere behind her eyes. She continued. The young couple from Anchorage was fishing the river for the first time, learning how to dip their nets by watching others in the canyon. The woman cared for her baby tenderly, pulling her arms through a warm sheepskin coat and covering her feet with wool socks. It can get cold in the canyon, even when the light is riding high, in the sky, in the sky, the sun is riding high. She bundled her baby into her backpack and stepped onto a huge rock that jutted into the fast water. She reached over the rocks and eased her long pole with its large round net into the current. Soothed by the smell and the rhythm of the river, she held her net steady and waited. It wasn't long before she felt a bump in the net. Hand over hand, she pulled the pole toward her, feeling her arms burn with each pull. Her baby clapped her hands and made happy babble sounds, craning her neck to watch her mom pull in the fish. Before taking the fish out of the net, the woman bonked them over the head with her fish whopper to settle them down a bit. They flopped around her feet, straining against the net, their gills pumping in the cool, dry air. With a few swift cuts, she sliced the gills, flipped the fish over, and bled them out. Then she slid the pole back into the water and waited. Her husband stood a little ways downriver, she and the baby always in his peripheral vision as he too worked his pole, dipping for fish. Sometimes things happen with such swiftness, you wonder if they really happened at all. There's a hazy line between one instance of reality and another, where one begins and ends is lost to you. She was screaming, 
Though her husband couldn't hear her cries above the roar of the river, he could just see her arms flung out in front of her, her hands reaching toward the muddy water. Then she fell to the ground and held onto the rocks as the shock, like lightning, coursed through her trembling body. Her screaming turned into deep, heavy sobs, and it was only then her husband realized what had happened. Her backpack was empty. When she bent over to pull her pole in on another sweep of the eddy, their baby slid headfirst out of the path and splashed into the roaring hydraulics of the current, sucked down instantly by silt. He scanned downriver and saw no trace of their baby girl, then scrambled over the rocks to reach his wife. I used to carry my baby like that, in a pack, on my back, fishing from a rock in the canyon. Oh my goodness, that is amazing. <laughs> and there's more, there's more to that story, and that there more to, yeah, so you're kind of in the middle of a section there? Yeah, I just picked out a section because I didn't know as far as time. No, that was wonderful. And, and so, so how, how did you start? Did you just have conversations with individuals and, and they started to tell you their stories? And so you're like, oh, I need to write these. <laughs> exactly. And I also saw myself in this person's exact position. I was down there at the same, in the same area um, where you have to climb down this pretty steep bank of rocks just to get to the river and the canyon's very steep. And I had a baby on my back. And mm -hmm. at the time I'm thinking, this is no big deal. You just do what you do. But then when I heard that story and I looked back, I thought, oh, you know, maybe sometimes we do put our kids in, you know, they're under our protective wing, we think. Mm -hmm. But maybe sometimes some of the things we do is a little bit um, risky. Um, I had another situation where um, we were skiing and my son was a year old and he was on my back, but he was so quiet that I didn't think much of it. So I just kept skiing. It was a beautiful day and sunny out. And then he started screaming and crying and I couldn't stop him from crying. And I was felt so guilty because he was cold mm -hmm. and he, you know, your temperature drops when you sleep and he was sleeping. And so I took him off my back and I tried to warm him and put him on my chest, but he just kept crying. And of course I limped my way back to the trailhead, but it was those kinds of times where I thought, hmm, <laughs> sometimes things could happen and yeah. thank Goodness, they didn't. <laughs> and it's nice to get to reflect back that they didn't happen, but to take a, another approach to it and write a short story of what could have happened. You know? <laughs> I know. And you know, what else is really funny is I'm a grandmother now and I'm so paranoid with my grandchildren. I just don't want my kids doing all this stuff. Yeah. And of course they do. I just don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true though. Grandparents. We change a lot. <laughs> I think the parents are just so into the busyness of life and doing things and, you know, trying to make the best of it. When you become a grandparent, you've already reflected back of, oh, I would have never done that. We see your kids do it. And you're like, no. <laughs> oh, Vicki, that's such a good point. That's, that's exactly what it is. And I didn't really realize that until you said that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm a grandmother. A lot of people are surprised, but I am a grandmother. And oh my gosh, I'm not longer step grandchildren, but we have been around them enough. And I've I've been able to you know reflect on that whole aspect of you know when you're a parent, you're so busy, it's hard to enjoy every moment. But when they're grandkids, you get to enjoy every little detail, and it's so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that is great. That is so true. That you're just busy. You're just yeah, busy taking busy. care of stuff all day. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you talked a little bit about support groups. Um, so you have a writer's group, which I'm glad you mentioned because the writer's group that I got involved with has changed my writing life altogether. We meet almost every two weeks. Even during COVID, I got them on Zoom so that we could all meet on Zoom. And it really does change your writer's life when you're in a good writer's group. Um, good, and I say good writers group because there are poor stories about writers groups. So I endorse people leaving a writers group that's not productive or helpful for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but are you part of any other associations or organizations or suggestions that you might be able to give listeners that are working on the process of writing that um, you would like to share? Yeah, well, some people do uh, beta readers, and I cannot do that, but some people will put their work out to 30 or 40 different people. And I really cannot imagine getting 30 manuscripts back with all these different, so much different input. I think I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do that. I have to work in small spaces with four or five people, but I also belong to a um, poetry group that meets once a week. Um, and I, poetry, I love poetry and it really feeds my writing. It feeds fiction. Um, it feeds, uh, things that I build with my hands. Um, and so I think if you can find those groups that really feel, feed you and create uh, situations where you're being inspired, then that's what I would do. I met my writing group actually at Kachemak Bay Writers Conference in Homer probably three or four years ago. And boy, I've been grateful ever since. And then the poetry group I also found online and they're past MFA, uh, University of Alaska Fairbank, I mean, Anchorage uh, mm -hmm. graduates. So I get their input too. And with Zoom, oh my gosh, I've taken classes um, from different people around the United States and that has opened up another whole world. That was one good thing mm -hmm. about it absolutely was. Yeah, just like you and I were emailing back and forth today uh, it was funny because I started to record podcasts in Zoom in 2000, late 17, early 18. And I could not get authors to come on camera with me, which was fine. But, you know, I was like, it's a much better experience for recording to have people come on camera, even though I don't use the footage. So um, I, I like it's a much better engagement. Um, so now, and I had to coach people on how to get on Zoom, how to use it. Now, uh, like, oh, you guys may well see on camera, and it's so much better. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using that. It's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah. also being able to be exposed to so many different um, avenues of learning and people all over the United States and the world, it opened that up a lot for people. Yeah, it does. I took a class from Ellen Bass, and she is a fantastic poet. She's from Santa Cruz, California. And for years, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Santa Cruz to one of her workshops, you know, and I'd have to get a hotel and, yeah. you know, I'd have to airfare and all that. And I took a Zoom class with her that was just fantastic. Yeah. And I yeah. learned so much from her, from her. And I knew I would, 
but that would not have been available before. And she's, she loves it too, because she has opened up to, you know, people globally now. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. So you're going to get news, Monica, on this podcast that not haven't announced yet, but I actually have been invited for my first book to be a, a speaker, president, a speaker at self um, publishing con, which is in London. And um, oh. so that'll be out. Hopefully in October, I think, is when that whole conference is. And it's a huge, huge conference. Like, I've been going to it, following it, but then I get asked to do it. So I'm kind of excited. But I probably would not have put my bid in or be say yes to do it um, right out of the gate if I knew I was going to have to fly to London right away and get on stage versus doing it in my comfort zone of online. <laughs> so I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And then all my friends that I told because I haven't announced it yet, you know. So now everybody here, this is gonna happen. Um, that will be the podcast. Um, the people that I have told are like, Wait, did you get to go to London? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Vicky, congratulations on that. That'll be great. It's another super- you know, you get your foot in the door with so many more people, that much more knowledge yeah. and experience. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard of uh, Joanna Penn. I have to be on her podcast too. Oh, that's so great because I listen to her podcast all the time. So I will see you there. <laughs> so I have these huge wild goals, you know, to get this book out. And so for those of you, that's not about me. It's supposed to be about Monica. So I don't want to, you know, deviate too much. But you know, I've been following Joanna Penn. She's actually inspired me to start the podcast and just listening to her. And right, a lot listening to her podcast. So it's my favorite podcast. And then she's so fantastic. I mean, if you are ever going to model yourself after somebody, she responds to people's emails all the time. She doesn't have a team of people that does that for her. She'll respond to you on Twitter, mostly Twitter. Um, and so I just sent her a couple thank yous. This book was great. This helped me on this and this. And so in December, I got a hold of her um, author's business plan because I've decided I want to do this and launch myself into retirement as a business, not just, you know, writing fun. And so I did her that book. I listened to an audible and I emailed her right away. I go, this book was perfect for me in December. And she's like, well, when you get your book out, let me know. Because she knew I'd been playing with this idea of writing a book to help authors with research. And I'm a librarian. And she and I'm like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about a book yet. Oh, and she has such a wide audience. She does. And so the cool thing was that that spurred me on. So I went from December, September, and October um, uh, oh, working on the idea and getting it off. So the book came out in March. I let her know, hey, my book came out in March. And she's like, okay, I'll book you for coming to this fall on the podcast. And I'm like, okay, this hey. is like surreal when you're mentor from afar that you're totally girl about you're gonna be on a podcast it was pretty exciting so that's another big announcement that I haven't told everybody yet but I'm well you should to, tell them right now you just I, did I'm, I'm starting <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get the word out and stuff it's just a little bit um exciting and overwhelming but also like you know you get that feeling of like oh my gosh what did I step myself into can I handle all this right and her bench is so deep I mean, oh my gosh, her knowledge, her wealth of knowledge is incredible. You know, I listen to her while I'm working on my clay projects. <laughs> I listen to her every Monday. So, you know, she puts them out on the weekends and I, I faithfully listen to her. She's like my my um, author's news that I listen to in the morning on Monday when I'm getting ready for work. And 
Um, it's it's pretty big. It's exciting, and I love her genuineness. That's the part that I love the most. Yeah. she truly is an example of what all this authors should be like. Um, in the sense that she loves her, she loves the people that that email her, and and she doesn't take anything for granted as far as where she comes. So I, I I'm pretty excited. So you got to hear the news first, and the the, the conference comes from this uh, conference that it, an alliance that she told me to get into, and it comes from all that. So it's 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 all it's all been because of Joanna Penn. I started a podcast. I'm writing. So I will tell her that on that podcast. I'm like, I'm fangirling, so. <laughs> yes, and then and then when that happens, of course, you're going to send out everything, right? You're going to oh, yeah. send emails yeah. and yeah. social media yeah. so we all know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, everybody's going to hear about it. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get the word out to the people that are on my newsletter now. They're going to start hearing about it. The conference is very cool because there's going to be three free days. And they're having huge heavy hitters. I don't know how come they picked me, but they're having, and it's going to be all about the craft this year of writing craft. And so there's going to be some really great speakers. So I'm pretty excited because I'll get to go to the conference too and listen to everybody's um, work and stuff. And so it, it's going to be, it's going to be a good fall for. Oh, it sounds like a great one. Yeah, we will definitely follow you on that. <laughs> Uh, pretty excited about that. So, anyways, um, so support groups and finding mentors and all that is so very important. And, and even doing it from afar, like we, we were just talking about how this year has opened up our ability to do that internationally, which has been so life giving <laughs> to me, at least. So, yeah, and I think also touching into um, regional groups, like mm -hmm. I'm, you know, like I'm trying, like you, I. I was trying to find where are people in the Pacific Northwest? West, those are my people. Where are they? Who are they? And with Watermask, um, I'm really um, proud to say that I was a finalist in their Willa um, Award for Creative Nonfiction uh, in 2020 from the uh, Women Writing the West. <laughs> yeah, and and but you know I thought well that's the West. Where are my Pacific Northwest people. <laughs> well, Lamont Writers Group is a huge group. Um, so okay. Lamont Writers Group, and they have a website. They do conferences. I don't know if we're going to do a conference this year face-to-face, -face, but they it's a huge, huge group. And there's chapters all over Oregon, Idaho, Washington. Um, and also look at um, Author to Author. He's from Seattle, and he has a podcast and a huge group of people. I'm going to be on his podcast, too, here this summer. And he writes, um, his name is Bill Nomer. He writes, he has had three books. Uh, one is Fearless Writing, about writing through your fears. And the, the latest one is about self-doubt um, and how to deal with self-doubt as an author or as an artist. Any kind of work that you're putting your soul out, right? So that's his latest book. And he has a huge mix. And he writes in Writer's Digest as well. So he um, is a really great his great resources and he has a huge connection so author to author is his podcast too so check them okay. out because that will give you some connections in the pacific northwest and then on my website i have um on each of the podcasts usually when an author will mention something or i'll ask them about an organization i usually link that to in the show notes so uh, my website is full Squishpin.com is full of resources. So I bet you can find some other groups too. Oh, yeah. yes, I will. I will definitely go there. Thank that you. That website is so large that I can barely manage it anymore <laughs> with all the resources I put on. Because I'm a librarian, so I can't help myself but give massive resources to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, that's natural for you. Yeah, it is. 
I appreciate that. You bet, Monica. So, Monica, let's finish up the podcast. Tell us what keeps you going as a writer. You know, my husband asks me that he, because he sees how frustrated I get sometimes. And he says, why do you do this? Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I'm, I don't know. There's a strong compulsion. I don't know. Like this next book that I'm working on, I, um, I feel really compelled to tell this story. And it is about a native boy um, who's coming of age and ends up going through lots of uh, traumatic events in his life. And, um, you know, there's some compulsion to write that story. So that's all I, maybe also because I really like to be in my head. Yeah. yeah. I, I enjoy being in my head. I enjoy thinking about things and meditating and, and being in a contemplative state of mind. And yeah. I feel like during those times, you're kind of in this flow and it feels good and it's rewarding in, in that way. It's definitely not rewarding. Um, monetarily but, <laughs> no. but I don't care that's what I do <laughs> oh, I hear you on that one. <laughs> oh. I love it. well and that's so funny because my our youngest daughter she's 24 this year and she was over here um visiting with me before she went to work and I've kind of given a rundown of some things that I'm doing this week because it's always a week by week thing because I'm still working full-time and doing all of those stuff and she just looked at me she goes why do you work so hard? It's like, I just don't get why you feel like you have to work so hard. <laughs> well, because I'm at the stage where I'm ready to launch into my retirement. So why can't you just retire and garden? <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that funny? Why can't you just retire and garden? You know, I know because there's so many interesting things to do. Oh, I know. I know. I'm like, no, I have this vision for myself. I see myself doing this in retirement. So. So thank you so much, so much, Monica, for being here. It's been a blast getting to know you. Listeners, please, please go to Monica's website, buy your book, email her, let her know, or go on our social media, let her know you've heard her from the podcast. It makes our day when we know that you've heard from um, our authors to the podcast, and they also love to know where you hear from them. And if you buy your book, do go on and write a review, because that is our life's blood. That is. Please do that. It's only a three or four sentences will do. It's it's easy on Amazon. It really isn't. So it as well on Goodreads. Yeah, yeah. My two favorite places. Love it. And Monica, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to talking to you again soon and seeing you. Yeah, it was great. Great to meet you. My um my website is monicadivine.com. Gmail is monicadivine at gmail. Um Let's see. Uh, I don't really like Twitter, so I don't do that. I used to, but um, Instagram is monicadivine.art. And I hope to see you there. I I will find you there, (laughs) I guarantee you. And and we'll stay connected that way. I'm an Instagram fanatic. I love Instagram. I have Facebook and Twitter, but those are my least likely love. I love Instagram because it's visual. Oh, I do too. It's great. Monica, thank you for being here. Thanks. Thanks to you, Vicki. Nice to meet you. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.